Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, that was quick. After just one round of balloting, Pierre Polyev captured more than two-thirds of the votes and was promptly proclaimed the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada last Saturday evening. But does he have the right stuff to become Prime Minister? Sheila Gunn-Reed covered last Saturday's convention and she'll offer her thoughts and predictions. Now the news out of Kamloops last year was equal parts grim and disturbing pertaining to a mass burial site, namely Chief Roseanne Casimir and other Indigenous leaders claimed to have found unmarked graves and that the remains of 215 children were in those graves, yet almost a year and a half later where is the evidence regarding these allegations? And is there more to this story than what's being reported by the mainstream media? Drea Humphrey joins me to discuss her upcoming Rebel News documentary, Kamloops, The Buried Truth. And letters, we get your letters, we get your letters every minute of every day, and I'll share some of your responses about an incident involving a knife man who went into the Toronto headquarters of Global News last week. Several police cruisers and a paramedic responded, but there's been zero mainstream media coverage. So the question arises, why is this story being covered up? Is it because the knife man is not, you know, a so-called extremist with the Freedom Convoy, but rather an employee of Global News? Huh. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. Tonight begins the journey to replace an old government that costs you more and delivers you less with a new government that puts you first, your paycheck, your retirement, your home. Well, folks, that was the triumphant scene in Ottawa last Saturday evening when Pierre Polyev attained victory on the first ballot to become the newest leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. For the record, Polyev received an astonishing 68.15% of the vote, blowing away his closest rival, Jean Charest, who only received 16.07% of the vote. Leslie Lewis placed third with 9.69% of the vote. Former Ontario MPP Roman Baber placed fourth with 5.03% of the vote. And MP Scott Aitchison finished with 1.06% of the vote. Oh, wait now, I forgot someone. The unofficial sixth-place finisher. Yes, that would be sneaky Patrick Brown. And what percentage of the vote did this lying liar get? Well, take it away, Dean Warmer. Zero point zero. And joining me now is Chief Reporter Sheila Gunn-Reed, who covered the CPC Leadership Convention on Saturday night, along with our big boss man, Ezra Levent. How are you doing there, Sheila? 
I'm doing great, David, and I am enjoying the gnashing of the teeth and the wailing of the mainstream media now that Pierre Polyev has been elected. Oh, it is no longer vegetable lasagna, Andrew Scheer, and um, (laughs) spaghetti noodles with butter that was Erin O'Toole. It's a little spicy, and the mainstream media is having difficulty finding their Pepto-Bismol, and I'm here for it. Oh, my goodness. So many angles to uncover on this, uh, Sheila, and that's just one of them. But, you know, the clip we just played, it featured Mr. Polyev talking about uh, restoring the economy, talking about improving the lives of Canadians. And the most off-use word I saw on social media in the minutes after his speech was the F word. No, not the F bomb, but F for fascist. Sheila, can you imagine we have a candidate promising to make the lives of Canadians better and he's labeled a fascist? How do you make sense of this? Not just make the lives of Canadians better, but disentangle government from all the things that the government has entangled itself in that it shouldn't be entangled with. So shrinking the size and scope of government Call me old fashioned, you know, social studies was a long time ago, but I don't think that's a fascistic move. Um, These are people who are just a little bit too much into the CBC who are going to have a real tough time digesting um, what it's going to be like for them going forward because it's clear. Polyev has identified the media for the problem that it is for the enemy of conservatives that the media is. And he hasn't he doesn't have a problem telling it right to their faces. And as he did with David Aiken, laugh right in their faces. Oh, you're reading my mind, uh, Sheila. Um, Back on Tuesday evening, I believe it was uh, David Aiken apparently suffered a mental breakdown. Um, he, uh, he made a spectacle of himself. He was profane. He was yelling questions. He was being, uh, interruptive of the press conference. I mean, had that been me at a Trudeau conference, I'm already tackled, uh, by the Royal Canadian Mounted Henchmen. In the very first place, the reason that, look, yep. So I mean, we, we have we we have uh, basically a, a liberal heckler who snuck in here today. I'm a liberal to, well, I'm the, global news. I'm the chief political right. of that organization. Are you going to let you me make my mistake? from the guy who actually reported yeah. first on the prime minister breaking the law. Yeah. Are you going to We'd let me make like my statement? just like to ask a question. Say yes. I've so never, I've actually never seen you heckling the prime I've done minister. It before. Ask Minister Baird back in the day. Heckling the prime minister. Look. Bottom line is this. I'm going to take some questions at the end of this statement. Yes, I'm taking, I'll be taking two questions at the very end. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You know, but here's the thing. Pierre Polyev, to use a media word, I don't think he's going to pivot on this. I don't think he's going to do what Scheer and O'Toole did and be Mr. Nice Guy and bend the knee to the mean girls at the CBC and the Toronto Star. And I think, Sheila, that is what is going to drive the media even more insane than what you saw David Aiken displaying on Tuesday. It reminds me of uh, Rush Limbaugh, what he said about Trump and the way Trump handled the media. The media didn't make Trump. The media can't break Trump. That's the same with Pierre Polyev. They were always dead set against this guy. How do you see this unfolding in the weeks and months ahead in terms of the media coverage of the new leader of the Conservative Party? You know, 
I think Pierre Polyev is going to drive these people crazy. And frankly, it's not going to be a very long drive, if you know what I mean. Um, for example, with David Aiken, I think Pierre Polyev got 10 words into one of his inaugural speeches before David Aiken, who proclaimed, but I am the chief political correspondent at Global News. I mean, he was he pulled the don't you know who I am? Um, to Pierre Polyev. <laughs> and the best part of Pierre Polyev's response was that you're behaving like a liberal activist or a liberal heckler has gotten his way in here. Pierre Polyev knows exactly who David Aiken is. He's a fixture on the Hill. But show David Aiken the respect he deserves, which was none, which I, which is, I thought it was wonderful. Um, but do you think for a second that David Aiken would have been hooting and mooing like a lovelorn Sasquatch had Jean Charest won? Do you think that he would have been shouting to interrupt Jean Charest's inaugural speech as the new leader of the Conservative Party? No, because he's their guy and Jean Charest would have been the perfect loser to uh, or to Justin Trudeau, which is exactly what the mainstream media wants because with Pierre Polyev, there's a serious potential that they could be cut off from their never-ending subsidies. Oh. And that really scares them. That's what this is all about. A hundred percent, Sheila. And you know, whenever I hear someone pull that line, don't you know who I am? You know what I do, Sheila? <laughs> I look over to the cameraman and I go, oh no, Efren, not another jabroni with amnesia, right? <laughs> but, but you know, I think the unspoken strategy of Aiken here, and we saw a bit of it in December when I was assaulted by Justin Trudeau's, um, you know, Royal Canadian Mounted Henchman, is this, he is sucking up to his boss, to the sugar daddy Trudeau. Uh, most of oh, the media clear. back then, they ignored the story. But Aiken went on the offensive with tweets actually applauding my assault. And similarly with uh, Mr. Polyev, Sheila, this to me was Aiken making a spectacle out of himself to get the attention of Justin Trudeau, you know, the kennel master, that he's the barking mad dog. He's going to do the barking and the biting. Uh, he's the guy that's going to be worthy of that government paycheck. And uh, if not, maybe a Senate appointment <laughs> if things go really sideways. What's your take on that? David Aiken thought it was a power move to start <laughs> interrupting <laughs> that press conference, and he was put in his place pretty darn quickly. Um, let us not for let us not forget that David Aiken was the same Global News journalist, the chief political correspondent with Global <laughs> News. Um, don't you know who I am? Um, that that um, basically covered up. Had it not been for Mocha Bezergan. Indigenous protesters protesting Justin Trudeau at a campaign stop and blocking the bus that Aiken was on <laughs> for 45 minutes. David Aiken didn't think it was newsworthy. He tried to say that the bus wasn't blocked, that the bus wasn't delayed, that Justin Trudeau wasn't being protested by Indigenous people. Except for the fact that Mocha Bezirkin was on the ground outside the bus because only the the state-approved journalists get on the bus. So Mocha's outside the bus, well, actually where the news happens, and he showed that David Aiken was peddling in fake news in real time. He debunked David Aiken. Um, so it's no wonder that David Aiken is trying to set the agenda now. He tried to set the agenda back then, but uh, it's a different world. 
And uh, David is going to have his heart aching and breaking for Jean Charest <laughs> for a very long time because Pierre Polyev won and won resoundedly. Boy, Sheila, that sounds like a beautiful country song you're about to break into. Thank you. And I'm going to give <laughs> Mr. Aiken a tip. Hey, David, get on a bus and go to Global News Toronto. I have a scoop for you. There was evidently a knifing industry, uh, incident yeah, you know uh, what last I, week. I was saying that, it, uh, sort of talking to one of our colleagues, I, I think they've got a mental health problem down at Global News. <laughs> it's been David a bad Aiken weekend. David acting crazy. They have a knife attacker that nobody wants to talk about. David Aiken's acting crazy. And Rachel Gilmore gave a speech with no pants on. I don't know if you've seen that tweet yet, but it's a, it's crazy times at Global News. Well, you know, um, enough about the legacy media, Sheila. The real target, of course, is those who are in government, the Trudeau liberals. You can smell the fear in the air. Certainly I can. And I'm just wondering, uh, we used the P word earlier, um, pivot. Do you think maybe uh, Pierre Polyev's popularity and his resounding win on Saturday and the fact that the media attacks are not working, could it be that the Justin Trudeau liberals will pivot? They'll go less crazy far left wing into NDP territory and become more centrist uh, in advance of the next election, uh, because what Pierre Polyev is preaching, people are buying what he's selling, Sheila. You know, the fear of the liberals, I open up my Twitter account and it's like getting into a hot bath after you've been outside in the cold. Like, I just love it. <laughs> what an image. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I don't, I'm not sure the liberals are going to pivot. I know there are some people within their caucus, like... Pierre Polyev has been leader for mere days and already the disgruntled liberals who are disgruntled with Justin Trudeau are starting to leak to the media saying, maybe we should leave behind our wokeness mm -hmm. and um, sort of move towards the center. Now, that would mean to me that I, either their wokeness or their lack of wokeness, it's neither of which they believe in. They just believe in power, right? So they're willing to switch that dynamic depending on whichever way the wind blows. But I really don't see Justin Trudeau disconnecting his cart from the horse of radical leftism. That's how he won. It's who he is. Um, and it's, it's just so shallow and so perfect for him. He spent the last seven years being addicted to virtue signaling, mm. you think you can kick that habit just because mm. ju or just because Pierre Polyev got elected? I don't think so. Well, you know, and here is where I'm going to put you on the hot seat, uh, Sheila, uh, and get a prediction from you in terms of when Canadians can expect to go to the polls. Uh, as I said a few days ago, I'm very much 50-50. I know that sounds horribly wishy-washy, um, but... I can see it going both ways. I could see yeah. Trudeau uh, ragging the puck until 2025, which seems like an eternity away to me. Oh, or he believes the uh, propaganda his state-sponsored uh, media types are throwing up there about Polyev being a fascist, about him being uh, evil and dividing and divisive, and etc., and calling a snap election in the fall uh, just to, you know, ride that wave. Where do you stand, uh, Sheila, if you had a, a quid or two to uh, bet on this? I think I'm 60-40 for an earlier election. So I'm a little more committed than you, but not really. 
Um, I think right now, again, I'm going to poke fun at Global News, but then <laughs> quote, their, quote their pollster for some reason. Uh, I was reading Global News. Someone's got to. And uh, they they were citing their Ipsos read polling that uh, 40% of Canadians do not know enough about Pierre Polyev to formulate an opinion on him. Mm. Now, I'm of the mindset that the more people actually learn about Pierre Polyev, the more they'll like him, the more the contrast between him and Justin Trudeau will become more stark. Um, that, you know, he's from a working class family. He understands what it's like. His wife is an immigrant with a couple little kids. Um, he's, you know, the, born to a 16 year old single mom, adopted to school teachers in Saskatchewan. He's got a very compelling story and he speaks the language of people trying to get ahead in this country instead of just you know, who says stuff about uh, the middle growing the middle class or defending the middle class and people working hard to join it and then taxing us. Um, Pierre Polyev's actually been middle class. He wasn't born with a silver shovel in his mouth. I think the more Canadians learn about him, the more they're actually going to like him and be able to see the stark intellectual and class divide between him and Justin Trudeau. And I think if Justin Trudeau has smart advisors and, you know, I, again, could go either way on that argument <laughs> any day of the week. But if he has some smart advisors, they're going to say call an election before people realize that they actually like this guy and his ideas. You might be right, Sheila. And one last angle to pursue, and that was looking at some of the characters in conservative land in Ottawa uh, last uh, weekend during the conference. Uh, first and foremost, um, I was actually shocked at how poorly Jean Charest did because we kept hearing this buzz about a great base in Quebec. He's, must he's built to win, they told <laughs> us. To win. And I love this farewell speech, which was essentially that I will always be a, a, a committed member of the Conservative Party of Canada. Oh, by the way, I'm off to the private <laughs> sector right now to make seven figures and be the savior of any Canadians that are taken hostage uh, in China in case I've got the Huawei account. So uh, I found that odd. And but what I found gutless, Sheila, and it says it all for the final exclamation point on his career as leader, it was Aaron O'Toole not even showing his face. He was just, he just uh, zoomed it in his little speech, which as the saying goes, would have been twice as good if only it were half as long. And um, I want to get your assessment on uh, other things that stood out. Also, uh, Jean Charest, when he was thanking uh, all the conservatives, he thanked also sneaky Patrick Brown, persona non grata at the Ontario PC party, persona non grata at the federal conservative party. Why is he thanking him? Yeah, I know Patrick Brown is a teenager, had a Jean Charest poster in his bedroom, and how creepy is that? But what is your take on some of the conservatives of note that you saw on the weekend, Sheila? Well, of course, there's Jean Charest. He looked like he was sucking on lemons the whole time that <laughs> Pierre Polyev was talking. He could even fake not being sour about it all. But we we say that Jean Charest came in and came in second, and that is true when you look at how they allocate these points. But he is virtually tied in the vote count with Leslie Lewis. Mm. Um, so that's a testament to her. Uh, when you we saw how the writings broke down, Pierre Polyev won all but six in Ontario, which is interesting considering most of his challengers were from Ontario, or I think all of them at, at, towards the end. And he 
basically swept everything except two in Quebec. Or no, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Everything except six in Quebec and everything except two in Ontario. Um, so Jean Charest wasn't even as strong as he promised everybody he would be in Quebec, which I think is interesting that even his his major selling point was, I can win Ontario, I can win <laughs> Quebec, and conservatives aren't doing that with their Western-centric ideas or whatever. Um, that isn't the case. Jean Charest couldn't even do that. Um, with, you know, you bring up Aaron O'Toole and he gave a speech and he didn't appear. Um, I'm of, again, two minds of that. Yeah, I could have done with a little less of him. Um, he didn't need to talk for that long. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad he didn't show up because ju- <laughs> or because Jason Kenney can't get his um, fingers out of the Alberta leadership election here. Mm. So I'm kind of glad that Aaron O'Toole was sort of didn't bother to show up, was sort of in the backseat. We didn't hear from him at all, really, during the leadership campaign, which is how it should be, Jason Kenney. Well, there you go. Well, you know, Shelley did a phenomenal job. And for all the Charest supporters out there, don't worry. He's folding up his Superman suit and putting it in the closet. And he'll be at the next Conservative Party leadership uh, convention probably sometime in the 2030s. He's um, like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> it's not your turn. It'll never be your turn. Just go away. Hopefully, I'll still be alive to cover that one, too, Sheila. So, Sheila, thank you so much. You and Ezra did a fantastic job. I know we had great viewership. And um, uh, these are very exciting days ahead. And I hope you're right. I hope you're weighing in 60% on a fall election. If that's the case, I can't wait. You have yourself a great weekend, Sheila Gunreed. I will. You too. Thanks, David. There you go. And that was indeed Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Well, the remains of 215 children have been found in a mass grave in Canada. Many of you know that just over a year ago, the discovery of the remains of 215 children was found at the Kamloops Indian Residential School at the Kamloops Shiswemek First Nation. But what if I were to show you that what I just said wasn't true, and that in fact, a year later, not a single body has been found? This mass grave is a painful reminder of the genocide. Canada's leaders aren't condemning the burning of churches. No, they're endorsing the burning of churches. A juvenile rib bone that surfaced in the same area. You'd be surprised the number of people who say, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a paramedic. This is definitely a human bone, and it's Hmm. definitely not. It's like a chief. It is. Sometimes telling the other side of the story means offending the sensibilities of others. It means not being woke or politically correct. But the truth, as always, must prevail, even if that narrative is offensive to others. And while it is very trendy in certain circles to speak of the discovery of mass graves of Indigenous children, is this, in fact, true? Or is there something more to the story that is not being reported? And joining me now is Drea Humphrey, who, along with Matt Brevner, is the driving force behind the latest Rebel News documentary, Kamloops, 
the buried truth. Hey, how you doing there, Drea? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. You're looking good. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you, my friend. Now, your new documentary, it's uh, subtitled A Journey to Discover the Truth About a Story That Misled a Nation. Drea, what do you mean by that? And indeed, what can our viewers expect to see once your documentary premieres? Well, you know, this is a very raw documentary. I'm just going to start by letting people know that it was with the intention to do a follow-up report. And because we came across so much information, it just naturally evolved into a documentary. So you're really going to see and come along with myself and uh, BC producer Matt Brebner as we try to get the truth a year later for what, you know, what was a misleading narrative that was put forth back in May of 2021 about what was discovered at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. In that first press release, if you remember from the Tecumseh Shishwamek First Nation, it said that there had been confirmed the discovery of 215 former children from the Kamloops Indian Residential School. It was shocking news. It made it worldwide. People were grieving and at the time, I think I was probably the only news reporter, at least in Canada, who was asking questions like, well, how did you determine such a precise number? And a year later, yeah, it's kind of shocking that uh, there's still no answers in that area. Indeed, Drea. And here's the thing. Um, where is the evidence of these uh, bodies that are in this mass grave? Um, you know, the... Um, I, I think of, um, you know, the media coverage of this and with some exceptions, uh, such as uh, James Pugh over at fr our friends at uh, True North, nobody's asking questions. Indeed, uh, in his piece, he says, instead of succumbing to hysterics, um, did the journalists do what they're supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Ask questions, search for facts and evidence. And the answer yeah. is no, it's been taken at face value. Um, Drea, this should be a crime scene. There should be an RCMP investigation going on, but there's not. Is it because mm. the alleged victims are Native? Is that the reason? Well, it's hard to speak on behalf of the RCMP, especially when, as a journalist, they keep uh, passing you on to one person uh, <laughs> to another. No one actually gives you the answers. But the short end is that they keep saying they are leaving the investigation up to the banned government. And the banned government is essentially politicians. They're no different than the people that we elect um, in our government. It's the same thing. So how could you leave something that, like you said, should be a criminal investigation up to elected, um, basically politicians. Very confusing. Um, early on, again, I'll take you back to when I first reported on this, um, the RCMP appeared to have been asking some sort of critical questions about the discovery and poking around. And um, Murray Sinclair uh, basically went on, I, I want to say CBC, and said that those questions were intimidating the specialist, Dr. Sarah Bollier, and that he advised her to get a lawyer. So so what is happening here? The 
the specialists whose work is what uh, told the world that 215 children there seems to, for some reason, not want to answer questions from the RCMP. And then after that, they certainly did take a hands-off approach to this situation. And you'll see in the documentary what it's like for for uh, what's happening right now, even when a legitimate police report is filed about the situation, how the RCMP and the BC coroners has been handling this. Yeah, because to me, you're talking about 215 victims. That is yeah. an enormous crime scene. And mm-hmm. here we are more than a year later, and it hasn't been addressed. But this is scandalous, uh, Dre, on one hand, but on the other hand, it is typical of what happens in terms of the Native community when there is an issue to exploit. You see the usual suspects, certain politicians, certain lawyers, certain academics, certain Native activists, not the Natives themselves, you know, on the reserve. Uh, they're forgotten in this um, uh, fury. But they get together, they craft some narrative, they craft some outrage, uh, they go on a publicity tour, and um, there are no facts to what they're claiming. And we're seeing this yet again. And I just think it is an outrageous failure of, um, well, everyone, our our government, law enforcement, our media. What's your take on it, Drea? Well, it's definitely a collective thing. I mean, even I recapped what was said in the press release, but the media went and took us a step further and told, you know, the world and, and you know, Jagmeet Singh that this was a mass grave. That wasn't even in the report. I don't know where they got that from, but that was never the case. But it, it looked like it was some sort of mass murder of children based on these narratives that are went forward. And I'm not going to sort of um, guess at who in particular is to blame. I don't think... If, if it is that somebody crafted a narrative for some reason, I don't think that's specific to the Indigenous community. I think that's something that we see across the board when people have power in general. That, and then when the media is too woke to cover it with journalistic integrity. And so what we did at Rebel News is we took our time. We didn't race to get the story out immediately. There were so many questions that need to be answered. I think it took three weeks to get the initial report on that. And if you watch that report, it it captures, we speak to somebody who attended the residential school. We speak to people who are grieving over the story, obviously, based on what was told. But we certainly asked the questions, the basic questions. How did you discover this precise number of children? Why are the police not investigating this? And why are we getting no answers? Those are the same questions we went to get answers to a year later. And we actually get some of those answers. And the bottom, I mean, the short end of it is not a single body has been discovered there. That is the facts more than a year later. And that is not what people in Kamloops think. That's not what many people across Canada think. And it's certainly not what many people across the world think. But it is what the legacy media should know and should have set the record straight for the public by now. You know, that is amazing. Not one body recovered, Drea, and yet I still to this day, more than a year later, I see people with orange shirts with the number 215 uh, written on it. And when you speak about the woke media, this is part of the problem. I find just asking questions, which is what we do here, which is what Mm -hmm. you did in the documentary, you're described as being insensitive or even racist just for trying to get to the bottom of the matter 
Did you discover that when you went out on your fact-finding mission? No, you know, people were pretty open. Um, we actually speak, speak to some of the public in Kamloops. Uh, we do sort of a streeter sort of interview just to see what people think. Now that there are more facts available, what do they know? And they were very open to answering the question. Um, and most of them agreed that it is um, a bit sort of confusing, I guess, as to why a shovel hasn't been put into the ground yet um, over something. You know, if you, I believe one lady says something, you know, if we're looking for truth and reconciliation, the first part of that is the truth. She's so right. Yeah. Um, we need to know what exactly happened there. I mean, I, if you look at the old days and how you could get away with killing people, Dr. H. H. Holmes was one of the first noted serial killers. I mean, he had hundreds of bodies under his home. What if this was a serial killer who did something or what if it's something else? Our, our colleague Adam Sost did a report that shows uh, very compelling evidence that it could in fact be something more connected to how they disposed of things in the ground. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the first thing is get the truth so that there can be reconciliation if that is the goal. You don't just say something and then shut off all of the resources available to you to confirm and to also, if there are missing children that were taken from their homes, that were buried there, what about repatriation? where you, you put their remains, you get them back to the communities where they belong. That I would think that would matter the most in this situation. Well, Dre, I'm glad you were getting cooperation on this uh, uh, journey. Um, I guess I was basing my question on some of the social media postings where a typical yeah. one being, shut the F up, Rebel. Uh, this is why you are a hateful organization. Why? For asking yeah. questions, for trying to get to the bottom of the matter, for trying to get the truth out there. So I'm glad when you were in the Kamloops area, you were actually uh, being treated respectfully. Uh, because but not not on Twitter, though. Yes. <laughs> Twitter, yeah. Twitter's a different, you know, that there it's been called, the trailer was called hate. This must be hate. Call well, Trudeau basically well you know um, what dre as our boss says uh the twitter world is not the real world that's one no. filled with social justice keyboard warriors one last question my friend where do you see this story going from here as you mentioned it's stated there are 250 bodies in this grave not a single body has been recovered if we're looking back at this say six months a year from now is this potentially false narrative still being maintained or are we eventually going to get to the bottom of this matter well it seems that for now that is all up to the ban whether or not the public is going to get the truth on this situation i would like to see a more detailed um release of the report that came and told the public that that's what's underneath there. I want to see what happened. I want to see what was involved in that. So I would like to see that. I think the public deserves to see that. And I think anybody who wants truth and reconciliation should want to see that. So I'm certainly not done following up with this. There are a lot of different pockets. Uh, you know, there's the mass grave narrative we talked about. There's the amount of children we talked about. But there are other things that that have happened that I guess I won't get into right now, but I'll just let you know I'm looking into them. I think that, that there is a lot more to this sort of false narrative that ha the public isn't even aware of. And let's not forget that in the two and a half months following that announcement, close to 60, I believe it, close to 70, it was around 67, 68 churches were burnt and vandalized. Yes. That is 
Christian communities in yeah. Canada where politicians and leaders basically said nothing or it was understandable and it was justifiable and the media did not really come to bat for those Canadians as well. So this is this is something we must do our due diligence journalistically and that's what I intend to do. Great point, Drea. I mean, when you look at the hysteria that erupted, to think that this might be based on a potential hoax, uh, this makes it even more egregious. It, if that is the situation, there should be a retraction, there should be an apology. But my friend, <laughs> I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for it. Listen, I just want to say to you, Drea, and to Matt, you did great work on this assignment, and thank you so much for joining me. Okay, and don't shoot the messenger to all the haters watching. <laughs> yeah, right. there you go. That's right. Don't shoot the messenger uh, because uh, Drea is just trying to get to the truth of the matter. That's her only agenda. And indeed, that was Drea Humphrey in Vancouver. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. David Menzies for Rebel News here in Toronto. Well, folks, I'm outside the Toronto headquarters of Global News. And can you imagine? We think we have stumbled upon a cover-up of a crime. Now, the details are very murky, but what we do know is that on Tuesday, there was allegedly an individual that came to Global News Toronto who may be an employee or an ex-employee, I've also heard from a source he might have been a current or former employee of Sportsnet and he was brandishing a knife and there was quite the commotion. Several Toronto police cruisers responded as well as a paramedic. We have reached out for confirmation to the Toronto Police Service and they say that yes, there was an incident but no charges were laid. Now, it's very odd, isn't it? Because we are living in a day and age where well, if you go on to the Twitter account of Rachel Gilmore, journalists like her are being attacked on an almost a daily basis. I mean, as a matter of fact, I don't know why the flags are at half staff here at Global News. Is it for the passing of Queen Elizabeth II or did Rachel Gilmore receive another nasty tweet? But in any event, um, she has complained about these attacks. And uh, as I said earlier, that's all the attacks are. They're not physical attacks. They're just obnoxious, nasty tweets on social media. As well, last week, um, 48 journalism organizations and associations sent an open letter to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau demanding, well, not just funding, they already get that, but protection, uh, both for their physical well-being as well as from, again, nasty tweets. So in other words, they want censorship. They're going to get their wish soon. The Justin Trudeau liberals are hell-bent on censoring the internet. Now, this is very odd that here is an example, potentially, of an attack being carried out. I mean, a man with a knife, he obviously means business, and yet there's been no story about this. What's going on? This is a news organization. Now, I reached out to the news director, Mackay Taggart, he, him, uh, have not heard back. I've reached out to uh, Catherine McDonald. She's the veteran crime reporter, because this sounds kind of crimey. She has not reached back. Uh, of course, Rachel Gilmore, uh, she's very big on the uh, victim file. She hasn't reached back either. 
I did reach out to Rashima Govani. Um, I basically received an email back that she can't comment on anything. So that is why we are here today to pay a house call and find out what happened on Tuesday night and why this is not being reported. Let's see what we can find out. Oh, we're just here to see um, uh, Mackay Taggart, he, him. And you are? I'm David Menzies with Rebel News. Um, and who are you, by the way? Well, it stopped recording. Why are you guys recording me? You're with Global News and you're worried about being recorded? No, I, I'm, I'm under, I don't understand why are you recording me. Were you here for the knife attack on Tuesday? No. Oh, okay. Do you know who I, it was? I, I, Oh, well, who are you exactly then? I told you who I am. Uh, I'm security guard here. Oh, you're a security guard. Okay, can I see your security license? Yes, I have it with me right now. Okay, uh, then. I'm off, off. I'm gone now. I'm off. You're he's, gone. He's taking over. Oh, it's kind of like a, uh, a line change. In, uh, yeah. A shift change. A shift change. Okay, then. Hi, sir. How you doing? Hello. Were you here on Tuesday for the knife attack? Um, I can't talk. You can't talk. Oh, is English not your first language? No, it's my third language. Oh, okay. I wish I was trilingual. You know. Is McKay Taggart he him here? McKay Taggart? Yeah. Never heard of him? Not English. You know, that sounds like an old-fashioned busy signal to me. I thought this was global news. I mean, they get millions of our tax dollars. Wouldn't they have the most latest tech imaginable hello well there you have it folks um no comment in fact we once again got the bums rush from security and the building manager but again the question arises why isn't this potentially deadly incident being reported as news i mean the journalists and journalist organizations uh, that penned that open letter to Justin Trudeau uh, last week, they're so concerned about violence, you think that this would lead the news, but no, it's being covered up. And their buddies in the media party industry, they're not reporting on it either. Now, it's interesting because let me quote one of the lines in that open letter to Justin Trudeau. Quote, first, many of the threatening emails use similar language, the language commonly used by domestic extremist groups, end quote. What's very odd about that, folks, is they don't say who the so-called domestic extremist groups are. I think they're talking about the freedom convoys, quite frankly. I think they consider those groups who are standing up for our rights and freedoms to be domestic extremist groups. And isn't that maybe the solution to this riddle here, why this story is being covered up by the mainstream media? You see, if it was somebody wearing a MAGA hat, if it was some patriot in a pickup truck displaying a Canadian flag, oh, you want to bet that's going to lead Global News Toronto, their newscast. However, when it's allegedly one of their own, somebody within the media party acting badly, it's not a news item, it's a cover-up. Amazing. In the news business, the old saying goes, if it bleeds, it leads. But clearly, that's not the case at Global News Toronto. Oh, no, at least not when a knifing incident allegedly involves one of their own employees. Funny that. Indeed, somewhere in Ottawa, curled up in the fetal position, 
Rachel Gilmore weeps. In any event, you had plenty to say regarding a story that Global News does not want you to hear about. CBC is propaganda, writes, emergency alert, a reporter was asking questions, call the police. Yes, impolite questions aimed at global employees who are hell-bent on a cover-up, that's a police matter. But a knife attack? Oh, nothing to see here, folks, because, you know, that might be a little too personal. Ontario Shell writes, those security guards should have their licenses revoked. It is a clear violation of their license to refuse to show their license when requested by anyone. Oh, you are correct, sir. But obviously, the rules do not seem to apply to Global News employees. They're special, you understand. Rowena 30 writes, This is really weird. This is a really weird story. Keep digging. Your wish is my command, Rowena. I have been digging. And I'll tell you this, I'll have an update on this story next week. As Billy Red Lions used to say, <laughs> don't you dare miss it. And Sam Hill 613 writes, Great job, David. The culprit left-wing radical global news clearly only cares about fake news and are all too quick to cover a real incident of possible violence. Well, thank you very much, Sam Hill. And wow, it's been a bad week for global news, hasn't it? Their resident drama queen, the Gilmore Girl, uh, she's still whining about attacks, a.k.a. mean tweets, that have been directed her way. Then, of course, David Aiken had that hissy fit the other day at the Pierre Polyev press conference. What next? And geez, to think that this outfit is being propped up with our tax dollars? I want my money back! Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. Have yourselves a great weekend. And also, as always, folks, keep in mind the saying, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night. <laughs>